off and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, it's good to have Graham back. <laughs> this is 20 minutes you'll never get back. My name is Doug Prezak. Thank you very much for uh, tuning into this episode. And before I get too far into this uh, 20 minutes, I want to acknowledge and thank you, the listeners out there. We just crossed 4,000 downloads. Now, I admit, you know, my 4,000 downloads don't come close to some of the other podcasts who get, you know, 4,000 downloads per minute, but I don't care about them. I do care about you guys. Folks from 57 different countries have listened to at least one of these 59 episodes. And I want to say a big thanks to uh, South Australia, Holland, the Czech Republic, Germany, France, and of course, Chile for always being the first to download a new episode. And uh, I don't want to forget the U.S. people. Thanks to our uh, U.S. listeners who are always first in line, in particular, uh, Lincoln, California, Anchorage, Alaska, Milpitas, and San Francisco, California, Washington, D.C., Michigan, North Carolina, and Texas, but not Vermont. I tried. Lord knows I tried. You all know I tried. I've given up. Not Vermont. All right. Enough of that. What about this particular episode? Well, here's how today's episode came about. Now, let me first say, I'm not too sure uh, you all out there really care about how a particular episode comes to be, but I feel I need to tell you. Okay. Maybe it's just cathartic for me. Anyway, here's how this episode came to be. About every other week, I don't have a clue what I'm going to talk about. And if that's the case, I will discuss the possible topics with my executive producer. I'll say something that sounds like, oh man, I don't have anything to talk about. I don't want to talk about this week. And yeah, the whining sounds just like that. I own it. And every time she'll make a suggestion or two. Now, recently, it's been the same one every week. She'll say, why don't you talk about the weird sports phrases? Now, there's two in particular that seem to get her riled all about why they're called that. The first is, why is it called love in tennis? And the second is, when a sportscaster says some athlete has the yips. (laughs) And each week, I politely suggest that I'll just keep thinking about possible topics. Well, today, I quit thinking about it, except to think that, damn, She's right. Why is zero called love and why the yips? You know, is there a vaccine for the yips? Where's Fauci when you need him? And so, ladies and gentlemen around the world, I present my wife's suggestion, the what's and why's of strange sports terms. I did the research so you don't have to. Okay, we'll start with love and not the Valentine kind of love. I mean the tennis score love. Now, love as a word for a score of zero has been used in the sport of tennis ever since the late 1800s. You know, frankly, how love became a word for zero is kind of odd, but then again, the whole scoring system in tennis is odd. I mean, the points start at love and then go to 15, 30, and then 40. Shouldn't the next points after 30 be 45? Come on, people. And frankly, why not just call it 0, 1, 2, and 3? <laughs> All right? Well, etymologists aren't exactly sure how love came to mean zero, But there are theories. Of course there are. The first theory is a popular one, and it sounds actually the most reasonable to me. It's been suggested that the tennis sense of love is derived from the French word love. (laughs) Okay, I'm showing my complete lack of French. It's love. The vowel in the French word has no English equivalent, but approximations uh, make it sound something like love. (laughs) Now, oof apparently means egg, and le oof means the egg. 
The French used the word loaf to mean zero because it resembled an egg and the written figure zero. A score of zero is sometimes called a goose egg in American English or a duck egg in Britain. It's believed English players mispronounced the French word loaf and influenced the change to love, and the rest is history. Well, Merriam-Webster doesn't buy it. They'll stick in the mud, folks, say there's an etymology problem. The problem, they say, is that the lack of evidence of loaf being used in French to mean zero. They maintain the French use the word zero to mean zero or not, and un oeuf and les oeufs for the food. They say a far more accepted theory is that the sense of love comes from the expression to play for love. The idea is that a person who fails to make any points doesn't care because they're playing for the love of the game rather than playing to win. The Oxford English Dictionary suggests that love really does mean love. There's no mistranslation or mispronunciation at all when both players start at zero points and no one is winning or losing. They still have love for each other and love for the game. Oh, please. I subscribe to the goose egg theory and whatever other kind of egg they have in France. Now, there's a lot of folks in France who download the show, so let me know what you think, okay? Now, as for the scoring, before there was tennis, there was a French game called Jeu de Pomme, or Palm Game, that was very similar to tennis, but players used their hands instead of a racket. The scoring system used for tennis today was based on the Jeu de Pomme system, but the reason for that 15-30-40 scoring is still a little shaky. There's a couple possibilities. Of course there are. First is the theory that back in the pre-revolution days, the Jeu de Pomme cords in France were 90 feet total, 45 on each side of the net. After scoring, the server got to move up 15 feet. Another score meant moving another 15 feet. A third score would put the server right at the net, so only 10 feet was used for the last bump forward. Another theory comes from the United States Tennis Association Official Encyclopedia of Tennis. I'm sure everybody has that on their bookshelf, right? In the early records of the game in France, sets were played to four games. Now, this is where it gets weird, okay? Get out your calculators. Since 60 degrees makes a full circle when multiplied by 6, it's thought that matches were 6 sets of 4 games each. Therefore, each point was worth 15 degrees or points contributing to the whole. The game concluded when one player completed a full 360 degrees or points. What? My vote is for the jeu de pomme theory, okay? (laughs) But whichever one of these is correct, it's generally agreed that the scoring used to be exactly what any logical person thinks it should be, 15, 30, 45, and 60. Over time, we adapted 45 to 40 because it's more clearly understood when yelled out on the court. 40 can't be confused with any other number. What the hell? Neither can 45. Morons. Let's move on to the second term that gets my aforementioned executive producer all worked up, the yips. Yips is defined by the American Heritage Dictionary as, quote, nervousness or tension that causes an athlete to fail to perform effectively, especially in missing short putts in golf. Dictionaries seem to agree that it made its first appearance in print in 1963. 
Symptoms of the yips are losing fine motor skills and psychological issues that impact on the muscle memory and decision-making of athletes, leaving them unable to perform basic skills of their sport. The worst cases are those where the athlete does not recover at all, forcing that player to abandon the sport at their highest level. Now, it's believed the phrase was originally coined by golfer Tommy Armour to describe a sudden and inexplicable loss of the ability to putt correctly. Now, what this tells me is that I have a perfectly acceptable excuse when I lose a miniature golf. The term yips has since spread to any unexplained loss of skill and has been applied to athletes in a wide variety of sports. In cricket, the yips apply mostly to bowlers, I guess they have bowlers in crickets, and seems predominantly to affect the left arm spinners. I guess not to be confused with the bowlers. The affliction seems to involve players having trouble releasing the ball at the end of their action. In baseball, the yips usually show up as a sudden inability to throw a baseball accurately. Well, now they're just describing how I play baseball anytime. <laughs> There's no accuracy in my baseball playing. They're more apparent in pitchers and catchers, players who touch the ball the most often in the game, although some position players also suffer from the yips. In gymnastics, the yips are called twisties. That's a sudden loss of a gymnast's ability to maintain body control during aerial maneuvers, with a gymnast feeling sometimes akin to an out-of-body experience mid-air. That's horrible. Many gymnasts also reference feeling of disorientation or unawareness where the ground is. This increases the chance of a serious or critical injury occurring if the gymnast forgets in the moment how to land and maneuver safely. We all remember the twisties, or gymnastic yips, came to light when Simone Biles said she suffered from the twisties during the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. And sadly, that caused her to withdraw from the competition after the women's team all-around finals. All right, now that we have those two out of the way, I think it's time for a break. And when we come back, we'll go over some other sports terms and why they're called that. And after that, you all have a decision to make. Okay, I'll leave it up to you. You can decide. That will all become clear uh, in a little bit. So don't go away, and we'll be right back right after this commercial. I have no idea what it is. I'm a very lucky boy. I'd get it to see what pop. And I'm a very lucky girl. I've got it to see what pop. All of the kids in the neighborhood say to see what pop the triple good. Triple good. And you remind your mom to buy the Tootsie Roll Pop Party Pack. Ten delicious pops in assorted flavors. And look, there's a gamer puzzle on the back, too. So remember, all of the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops is triple good, triple good. You'll love Tootsie Roll Pops. Yeah, kids, you remind mom to go out and buy that party pack for you. See how that works out. <laughs> and also, I have no idea what frequency that little girl was hitting when she says, trip again. But my garage door kept going up and down. So, all right, let's get back to it. Some weird sports terms I know you've heard. And we're going to start with this one, hat trick. Okay, hat trick. Today, we use the term hat trick to describe three goals by a single player, usually in a hockey game or a soccer game, but that's not the sport where it originated. The words were actually first used in cricket, here we go, cricket again, in the 1800s to describe a famous English player's action of taking three batsmen out of the game on three consecutive balls. Allegedly, a hat was passed around as a form of collection 
for the player afterwards. It wasn't until much later that the expression made its way to North America as the hockey play we know today. So if you play hockey or soccer and you score three goals in a game, make sure you whip out your hat and pass, <laughs> pass it around, okay? Get, get a little something for you. The next bizarre word in sports is a term I've never understood, and that's bogey. Now, it comes from golf. I don't play golf unless a windmill or a volcano were involved, and I assure you the next time the yips will be involved. I'm sure you golfers out there already know why it's called a bogey, but for all of us, here's the story. A birdie is getting the ball in the hole on one stroke under par. Bird meant something excellent in 19th century slang, but if you bogey a hole, that means you took one stroke more than par. But why the word bogey? Well, bogey was coined by a major wellman. I don't, don't know. Major Wellman, who was playing at the Great Yarmouth Club in England in 1890. Seems he was unfamiliar with the club custom of playing against an ideal ground score for each hole. The Major said that he felt as if he were playing against an invisible expert opponent whom he dubbed the Bogeyman. As most likely, he grabbed the phrase bogey from a song that was popular in the British Isle in the early 1890s called The Bogeyman. The character of the song was an elusive figure who hid in the shadows. I am the bogeyman. Catch me if you can. I say, why call it a bogey? Now, if, if a birdie is one under par and it's a good thing, then one over par, call it, I don't know, a skunky. That would be a bad thing, but not bogey. Now, here's a term that I know what it means, but I have no idea why it is what it is. And it comes from baseball, and it's the letter K. Now, have you ever seen people in a baseball stadium putting up uh, the signs with the letter K on it when a pitcher strikes out a batter? I know I have, but why a K? You know, scoring a baseball game is filled with all kinds of shorthand, and this was necessary because box scores were found only in newspapers for the first century of their existence. And the newspapers definitely had limited amount of print space. As a result, baseball fans now are familiar with the common abbreviations of the box score, such as E for error or HR for home run, etc., etc. All those have fairly obvious origins, but why a K for a strikeout? Well, the abbreviation owes its origin to a 19th century Englishman who simply ran out of letters. Henry Chadwick was a writer who had transferred his love of cricket, what is with cricket, to a baseball when he saw the new game played in 1856. While working as a baseball reporter, Chadwick created many of the now common features of baseball scoring and statistics keeping. He had already chosen S to stand for a sacrifice hit, so he used K for strikeout since that was the last letter in the word struck which was at the time the most popular way to refer to a batter being out after three strikes. Chadwick's box score of an 1859 game has been recognized as the first box score ever. Yeah, 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 some people dispute this, but I don't care. And his choices for abbreviations are baseball history. His impact on how we describe the game was so great that Chadwick became the only journalist officially enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And by the way, I don't know, have you ever seen a backwards K? I knew a K was, like I said, a strikeout, but I had no idea why Emory would put it up backwards until I did this research. Well, a backwards K indicates that the batter struck out without swinging at the third strike. In other words, cut looking. 
And the last term for at least this part of the show is sticky wicket. Guess where that comes from? <laughs> yep, it comes from comes from cricket. Now, wicket has several meanings in cricket. In this case, it refers to the rectangular area, also known as the pitch. And if you know where the pitch is, watch uh, Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Okay, great show. Love it, Ted Lasso. Anyway, it's known as the pitch in the center of the cricket field between the stumps. <laughs> I need to watch some cricket, I guess. In cricket, the stumps are the three vertical posts that support the balls and form the wicket. This wicket, I'm talking about the sticky one, is usually covered in a much shorter grass than the rest of the field, or sometimes it's entirely bare. So as you can figure out, this makes it susceptible to different weather conditions, which in turn cause the ball to bounce differently. If rain falls and the wicket becomes wet, the ball may not bounce predictably making it very difficult for the batsman. In the 1934 book, The Language of Cricket, I need to pick that up, it defines a sticky wicket as, quote, when its surface is a glutinous condition. <laughs> Therefore, a sticky wicket means you're in a difficult situation. And speaking of difficult situations, that brings us to the first ending of this episode. And what did we learn? Well, we learned that the last time I played tennis, I lost egg to 45. We learned that Henry Chadwick liked abbreviations. And we learned that I really should listen to my wife or uh, my executive producer more. Now, so like I mentioned, this is the official end of the episode. Now, there is more. But if you have kids in the car or your room where you're listening to this, you probably want to hit the stop button. If you'd like to hear some more sports terms that, you know, sound dirty but really aren't, then stick around. No foul language that are only dirty in your mind. So if you don't want to hear part two, hit stop. Otherwise, in three, two, one. I'm glad you decided to uh, stick around. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this part. And again, it's all on you, all right? Sports aficionados and fans, they, you know, they don't even bat an eye when they hear words or phrases that might sound inappropriate out of context because, well, you know, they know how it relates to the certain sport they're watching or playing. However, saying these words while not watching sports or discussing sports, well, they could be considered, well, a, a little risque, right? You've been warned. All right, first, and remember, out of context, and then I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you the context. So here's our first word tight end. <gasps> Officially, the tight end is a hybrid position in football between an offensive lineman and the wide receiver. <laughs> Next, hooker. A hooker is a position in rugby. The name derives from the position's role of hooking the ball backwards to gain possession during a scrum. <laughs> Next, we have stroke off. Stroke off is the ultimate decider in field hockey. If the score remains tied at full time and after two sudden death overtime periods and two shootouts, a stroke off is needed. Our next phrase is in the slot. This is another football expression to describe where a player lines up between the last offensive lineman and the wide receiver. The next phrase is backdoor slider. This is a baseball pitch used to deceive the hitter. A backdoor slider initially appears to be off the plate and then cups back over part of the plate for a strike. Next up is clean and jerk. 
Oh, get your head out of the gutter. In reality, this is a two-part move in weightlifting, usually involving a barbell. The lifter brings it up to his chest, the clean, before raising it above his head, which is the jerk. Your next phrase is butt ending. (laughs) This comes from ice hockey. Butt ending is the action where one player uses the end of a shaft of a stick. (laughs) That's a phrase all into itself. Uses the shaft of a stick to jab an opposing player. Oh my God. And lastly, come inside. Pitchers come inside on hitters when they get too close to the plate. A pitcher throws a pitch close to the hitter in order to back him up off the plate. And with that, I officially close the second part of this episode. If I offended anyone, well, that's on you. You were warned. They're just sports terms. You made them dirty. Shame on you. I was just trying to make this episode long enough. That's what she said. Bye-bye, everybody. I'll talk to you next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never get back if I even make it back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at uh, 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.